Are you tired of losing sales? Do you wish you had proven strategies that would help you increase your sales today, not in three months? You could Google it, but Google is in the information business. And I am in the transformation business. Welcome, Welcome. to the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast, where we will share three actionable sales strategies that you can implement in your business today to increase your sales tomorrow. This includes tactics, tips, and techniques from industry experts, influencers, and sales pros to help you shorten your learning curve and increase your bottom line. The more sales strategies we simplify for you, the shorter your sales cycle and the more money in the bank. Now your host, 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 multi-award-winning sales expert and international speaker, Wesleyan Greer. Hi, I'm Wesleyan, the host of Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, we have Jay Kingley with us. He will be talking about handling objections, what to do when prospects don't say yes. Jay has been in sales since 1990. He was a top revenue generator for two multinational management consulting firms, where he pioneered the techniques that formed the basis for the Centricity Proactive Referral Program. Along with his partner, Taz Sadukin, Jay built the largest outpatient obesity treatment facility in the Northeast, relying solely on referrals from doctors, hospitals, and health insurance companies. Jay and Taz launched Centricity five years ago to give the top 5% the edge in acquiring new clients and a done-with-you professional referral partnership. Thanks so much for being on today, Jay. Wesleyan, it is my pleasure. So I noticed that as a kindred spirit of myself, you have a Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering. Tell us about how you transitioned from chemical engineering to what you do today. Well, the one thing that you learn as a chemical engineer is how to solve problems. And I practiced as an engineer for three years with DuPont. Then I went to the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, got my MBA. And then I went into uh, management consulting. Initially, I moved abroad to London. And our focus as a firm was working for large multinational companies. They were all public, all C-suite CEO or heads of major business units. And we were doing their business strategy market entry, innovation, M&A, things like that. And I loved it because it was about solving problems, which really was my background. So I was good at it. So I rose up the ranks to the level right below partner. And I was like, okay, now I want to be partner and I was going to get there really fast. And then much to my chagrin, they told me that being a partner means you're really a salesperson. It's no longer about solving the client's problems. Well, I'm not a salesperson. I'm a very, very shy person. I don't like entertaining. I don't like whining and dining people. I just want to solve their business problems. So I was caught between the rock and the hard place of, I was ambitious, but I didn't want to do sales. And at that age, I was in my very early thirties. I decided ambition would win out. So I said, okay, I want to do the partner thing. So they made me partner and they don't really do sales training, Wesleyan. They really could have used someone like you to come in. It was, they're going to throw you in the deep end. Good luck to you. And if you drown, then you'll find another job or you succeed. So I looked at how everybody else did the job and it was building relationships, building personal connections, unlimited expense accounts, entertain best restaurants, 
take them out to events, do some things maybe in today's world wouldn't really be so kosher to do, but were acceptable back then. And I didn't want to do any of it. So I had to find my own way because I'm not a salesperson. And I did it my way. And my way, which I, could, I didn't really even understand at the time, was incredibly successful. And in two years, I became the number one revenue generating partner. And then I eventually left, did an entrepreneurial thing, went back into the consulting world, this time a, a US-based firm I joined as a partner. And I took, after a year of building a practice area, they gave me a P&L was the smallest, tiniest P&L in the firm of the four that they had. And I made it from like 5% of firm revenue to 40% of firm revenue while the firm overall grew fourfold. And we ended up going wow. public on NASDAQ. And I used these same techniques and I didn't do it the way anybody else in the firm did it. And you know what happens when you're successful? You never take the time to understand why. Yeah. And I certainly didn't understand it. Now, fast forward, Taz and I had come out of the healthcare business. We were sort of in transition. We started a consulting firm to work with other entrepreneurs and help them build their big idea. How do we get our clients? Because now it was small and medium-sized businesses. So we did B&I. We did all the Chamber of Commerces from local, mm -hmm. counties, regional, and state level. We did alumni organizations, trade organizations. And I would tell you, it was like playing the game of golf. Right. <laughs> and what I mean by that is as an amateur, and I've been there, you're going to go out in 18 holes, you're going to shoot, you're going to have like maybe 100 to 120 shots, i.e. you suck. But out of that 100 to 120 shots, one is going to be so amazing. And you're going to say, wow, the pros couldn't even do it that good. And so that's what gets you to come back because you had that one random success, which had nothing to do with you. It was purely right. random, but our brains think, ah, Maybe I can do better in this. And that's how all these business generation activities were. We would get business, but the return on investment for the time that we put in, not even to mention the money, was way too low. And we said, there's something wrong here. And we spent a year and a half. And out of that came centricity. But the key insight that we had, and I thank my partner Taz for this, is she said, but Jay, you have done this in these big consulting firms. What did you do? And this time, because we were doing all this research, I understood what made it work and how it was perfect for people that don't see themselves as salespeople. So that's the short story. Wow, that is amazing. I heard so many gems. I heard that you essentially said, no one's going to train me. I'm going to build my own sales process, which we know is so key to be successful in sales. And you did what they didn't believe you could do. You took the tiniest P&L and said, hey, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to make this work. So it sounds like you had to deal with a lot of objections as you were growing to become a partner, as well as growing the Centricity business. So why don't you give us one of the tips that you have of how you handle objections when your prospects say no? So. I'll give you the context that, you know, I had read a lot about it. And I think objection handling in my experience is probably the thing that people who go into sales are the most eager to figure out, right? How do I deal with objections? Because we're all going to get objections. Well, objections really come in two types. There's the objections that come from the salesperson inadequately explaining what it is that they're offering. And so those are objections about, I don't understand. 
you left out a whole bunch of important information. So the way you solve that is you have to take the time to give them the information that they need to make their decision. All that category of objections is 100% preventable. And when you are hearing those types of objections, what you need to do is own that and say, I need to change my process. I need to change what I'm, the information I'm giving so that I preempt those objections. So that is certainly one tip to deal with that category of objections. Pay attention, understand what it is that you're not providing them and give them that information so you prevent the objection from the first place. Now, then you have the second category of objections, which is the juicy kind, which is when people are basically, you know, I'm not buying it. I'm not seeing it. And here they have all these wonderful techniques that they teach you. You know, feel felt found is one of my favorites. The old Starbucks, do you go to Starbucks? How much are you spending? Well, what if you cut that back and you freed up that budget, et cetera, et cetera. So it's wonderful, wonderful techniques. And I use them all and they work to a degree. But then one day I'm like, you know, I'm getting old. I don't want to have the hassle. It took so much emotional energy. And then I just had this epiphany. You know what? I'm not going to deal with those objections. I'm just not. And here's what I'm going to think about. I'm going to say, you know your business so much better than I will ever know it. And I am going to give you the respect that the decision that you're going to make, given everything that you know and given your context, is the best decision that you're going to make at this point in time. So if I have done my job of adequately explaining what it is that I'm offering, and if I have a process that's fair to my prospects, which is important, it's got to be fair, then I don't deal with the objections when people say, I don't think this is for me. I just embrace it. And I say, not a problem. I'm with you on that. And I wish you a lot of luck. And if your situation changes, you reach back out to me. And what's really interesting, I mean, most of the times that's where we leave it. A surprising number of people over time will come back months later. I've even had people come back a year or two later and say, I never forgot what you said. I really appreciated that I didn't have the agita of having to enter into a debate with you about my decision, which I own, and you gave me that respect. But the other thing that happens on occasion, maybe it's 10% of the time, is people are so wary of getting sold that they just tell you no, <laughs> just to protect against the, oh, the salesperson who can sell sand to the Saudis, right, type of thing. and. So when I just acknowledge that, okay, if this isn't right for you, I embrace that. 10% of the time, people come back to me and say, yeah, whoa, 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 let's not be too hasty. Let's not be too premature. I'm thinking about this because now they realize that I'm actually on their side. I want them to make the decision that is best for them, not for me, that you have to have as a salesperson some belief in karma that if you do the right thing for the people that you're talking to, it will come back around. And 10% of the time, people melt and they're like, I don't need to have my guard up. I can really yeah. trust you to take care of me and to recommend the right solution for me. And so Jay, what I heard in those first two tips is ownership, right? The onus is on you as a salesperson to say, why is this person objecting? It's something I said, it's something I did, maybe it's my product. And the second one, which I think a lot of people really don't get is 
sometimes it's just not the right time or it's not the right fit. So instead of beating a dead horse, you should move on. Would you agree with that? 100%. And as a wise person in the sales arena once told me, as a salesperson, you own your process. Don't negotiate it. Be fair. Do for one, do for all. You own the process. But your customer owns their decision. And mm -hmm. you owe them the respect when you have given them the information they need. When you have I taken time that. to understand their situation, you respect their decision and give them that respect, just like you demand that they respect your process. That's good. You own the process and the customer owns the decision. Those are two key things that most people forget when they're handling objections. 100%. So give us that third tip for handling objections. Right. So I think that, you know, again, let me just summarize my three points. You provide the right information up front so that you don't get those questions and objections that are totally preventable. Second is embrace, they own the decision, you own the process. And third is don't try to change the customer's mind, right? Mm. They know their business better than you. Show them respect that they earned. It's going to come back around to you. I've had so many people who've said, Jay, what you're doing with Centricity isn't right for me now. And if I can give them other help, maybe I can direct them to another solution that is right for them now. And I am always surprised, very pleasantly, I get people contacting me in the months ahead. And I say, well, how'd you hear about us? And it's that person who turned us down for the right reasons. And maybe I was able to help get them on a different path who says, wow, to somebody they met, you need centricity. You need to talk to Jay because they are right for you. And it's a major source of business, all because you do the right thing for your client. You put your client's wallet before your wallet and your wallet will get very fat over time. I love it. Put your client's wallet before your wallet and your wallet will get fat over time. I love that. I think I might have to steal that. So Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Centricity and what you guys do and how you can help professionals grow their sales? Fabulous. So what we do is we focus on primarily B2B service professionals. It's anyone where trust is important in the decision-making process. And what we do is we help them build a network of referral partners based on building trust and relationships and using that through a well-defined process and techniques to really drive a significant number of client referrals to that person. And as I always like to say to people, let's be sure we understand what we mean when we say referral. For me, a referral has a 75% or greater chance of closing in 30 to 60 days. So these are people that need what you do. You're not chasing, you're not wasting your time. We love to work with those who are time starved and cash rich, right? So the issue is they just don't have enough time, but their business is doing well and they want to get it to that next level. And this is how we do it. And it works amazingly well. It's using all the things that I did when I was in the consulting world, sort of adapted for today's environment. So it seems like Centricity does networking differently. So if people are tired of attending chamber events and the traditional networking every week where they're doing the same song and dance over and over, it seems like Centricity would be a good option for them. Would you agree? 100%. And what I will tell you, and this is a great question, what do professional sports, entertainment, theater and film, and PhD programs 
all have in common? The answer is they all use the same approach to get their participants, whether it be athletes, entertainers, or doctoral students, to the highest professional level that they are capable of using. And that is the exact methodology that we use with all of our members to make them the best professional that they can be, take people with passion for their purpose, who want to make a difference, and help get them the clients they need so that they can fulfill their mission. And if that resonates, then as I like to say, we should talk. And I really love how at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about being a chemical engineer and solving problems. And it sounds like everything that you've done throughout your career from starting at the bottom level, moving all the way up to partner and starting your own business, you've solved problems. You've used those outside of the box strategies to really help close sales through managing, handling people's objections helping people connect with referral partners that actually refer to them. And it got you to where you are today. That is amazing. So Jay, as we wrap up, I was wondering, do you have a free gift for our audience? So what I would offer all of the listeners whistling that you have is if you reach out to me, I will invite you to one of our events. So you come to an event and then we'll spend 30 minutes afterwards and I will do my best to help you figure out what is your right way to having an abundance of clients. Whether that has anything to do with centricity or not is not the point. The point is how do you get to where you want to be so that you can deliver your gift to your clients. Awesome. And it sounded like you said the best way for people to connect with you is via email. Shoot me an email, um, jay dot k-i-n-g-l-e-y, that's my first and last name, at Centricity Network, just put those two words together, dot com. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can message me there too. If you just type my name in, believe it or not, there are hardly any other Jay Kingleys out there. And uh, so you will find me, just put my name into LinkedIn, connect with me, tell me that you heard about this through Wesleyan's podcast, and I will give you absolute white glove treatment as a result. Thank you so much. And all of the ways that you can connect with Jay will be in the show notes. So feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn, shoot him an email, and I encourage you to attend one of his B2B networking events. Thank you so much, Jay, for being with us today and sharing how to handle objections with grace. Now, everyone, that is another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Please be sure to review, like, comment, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Wesleyan. Thank you so much, Jay. Have a All great right. day. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.